0: thank you for your word and I pray that you might be filled with your spirit to say the things that you pleased. Lord, change us in whatever ways we need to be changed. Speak to us or whatever place uh, we need to be ministered to by you so that you might receive all the glory and your church may be edified and we may know that we have been in touch with you today. We pray these things for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So one news source, the morning edition, and along with some other news sources, uh, a couple of years back in 2017 reported an interesting thing that had happened uh, during election time around the city of Chicago uh, as they were seeking to elect uh, some city council officials back in September of 2017. On the day of the election there at the end of September, one of the last Tuesdays, if not the last Tuesday in September, a couple of years ago um, uh, on the college campus, which was the college campus of Roxbury Community College, uh, one of the, the, the local polling places that it was, uh, one of the candidates decided to go there and vote. Uh, and in light of the fact that he was going there to vote, he wanted to kind of uh, do something that he thought was creative that would kind of hopefully help draw attention to him and also, I uh, hope, drum up some votes. And so uh, his name was Pat. I hope I get this right. It's a Spanish word, payaso. Payaso. Did I say that right, sweetheart? Okay, good. All right. We're good. Payaso. So uh, now if you don't speak Spanish, uh, you don't know what that means. It's okay. But if you do, then you know what his last name means, clown. And uh, and so he wanted to play off of his last name, and so he dressed up as a clown. Uh, Full thing, Uh, rainbow wig, painted face, red nose, Uh, the the full attire, shoes, and all that, and he showed up at the college hoping to to receive a friendly greeting uh, for people to ask him who he was, and then he could talk about himself and then hopefully, you know, get a few votes out of the deal. Uh, Unfortunately, things didn't turn out as he had hoped. Uh, The college students, like Tyler, uh, were spooked by him and his clown outfit. So much so that they called the police, (laughs) Uh, and asked him to be detained or removed from the campus. Uh, A police officer did end up talking to him to realize who he was and found out he was and decided he was no threat to the campus, and thus he was able to go on with his day and and vote. Uh, Sad turnout for him, of course, uh, unlike what he had planned. And sometimes in life, that's what happens. We make plans, and unfortunately, they don't turn out in the way that we hope that they will turn out in the process. I don't know if you've ever been done something like that where you've made a plan and it backfired on you. Perhaps that has happened to you in your life. Well, at least in the Bible, we do know that from others that it has definitely happened to them. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see a, pan, a plan that is going to backfire. It's not going to turn out the way that, it, that uh, the person had hoped that it was going to turn out. Also, oh, the last time I spoke with you, we were talking about uh, Esau and Jacob, and it was around the context of a meal. Uh, And today uh, it will uh, again involve Esau and Jacob and it will be in the context of a meal. But this time, uh, unlike the last time, the parents will be the primary actors and they'll be the ones involved uh, in the context of this story. Uh, And last time, as we talked about this, there was something important that we learned about the family dynamic in which Esau and Jacob were raised. Uh, They grew up in a home where the parents showed favoritism. And so we're going to watch that play out uh, in this instance and how it's going to ultimately fracture the family and leave uh, these two fraternal twin brothers for years as enemies because the parents decided to favorites. But despite all the failings of this family that God has chosen to work through to bring about the blessing uh, to all the nations, there is something critical that we're going to learn about God. And as a result of what we're going to learn about God, uh, there's a main point that I want to get across, and that's simply this, that faith in God and Jesus means that we will humbly accept God's will and do it. The faith in Jesus means that we will humbly accept God's will and do it. Now, before we look at the events that are retold for us uh, in Genesis 27, we need to backtrack just a moment to remind ourselves of something uh, that has relevance for what's going to happen in the text. Uh, It's an event that took place some at least 40 years earlier in the lives of this family. Uh, And it was during the pregnancy of Rebecca. Let me remind you of that. Genesis chapter 25, starting At verse 21. And we read And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided, and the one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So uh, Rebecca has problems in her life, and she makes the right move. Uh, When she doesn't understand what's happening in her life, as James 1 encourages us, when you're going through a trial, uh, don't try to figure it out on your own. Ask God who generously gives wisdom. And so that's exactly what she does. She inquires of the Lord. We're not told exactly what all that entails, but the fact is that she seeks the Lord for wisdom about the trial that she's going through in her pregnancy. And God, in this case, uh, responds to her in a way that makes it clear of what's going on. And so, what God tells her is the two babies that are in your womb are actually the representatives, the fathers of two nations. That's really what's going on. There's two different nations in your womb that's ultimately, after birth, they'll be divided. And uh, and there's going to be something that's going to happen that that you might not expect, which is uh, in time, as the years pass and these nations take up form and and shape, the the nation that derives from the descendants of the younger son will be a stronger nation than the descendants that derive from the older son. And ultimately, at some point in history, uh, the descendants of the younger son will become masters over the descendants of the older son. And so God states that that's what's going to happen to, the, to her descendants uh, from her children. And so that's God's idea about reality and what's going to happen in the future. And so he gives her a long projected idea of what's going to take place. And, it, and it's into that context that chapter 27 becomes relevant to us because now we fast forward Uh, some 57 or 77 years forward, depending on how you deal with the years that Jacob spends in uh, with his uncle uh, Laban, depends on how you do that, is how you come up with the chronology for the age, either he's 57 or 77, but it's at that point, it's far into the future at this point when Genesis 27 is taking place. And at this time in his life, Isaac then is being 60 years old when they were birthed, he's now either 115 years old or he's 135 years old. And you know what happens in old age, uh, things begin to break down. Uh, Your body doesn't function the way that it it used to function. You find yourself not having the same strength that you did when you were 20 or when you were 30. And you find that you move a little bit slower. Maybe you don't see things as well. Maybe now where you can see things clearly, you used to have 20-20 vision. Now you get some aid from some glasses. And so in this case, uh, Isaac was susceptible to what all humans are susceptible to, age. And so his eyesight begins to fail him to the point where he's basically almost blind. And so as a result of him having this instance happen in his life, when he's, having these, he's facing these health challenges, uh, he's losing his eyesight, uh, Ozzy begins to fear that death is approaching near for him. And you can understand what that's like as you're getting older and you begin to face some serious health challenges. It can't help but cross your mind. Is this bringing me to the end of my days on earth. And so as a result of that, he wanted to set his house in order. And I, I could uh, sympathize, empathize with that uh, myself because of some uh, issues that happened in my life a few weeks ago. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I was here at the church. Uh, it was a Friday afternoon, and I had some pain in my chest, and then I had pain in my head at the same time. And so I jumped on Google, that all-wise uh, Internet And said, hey, here are the symptoms I'm dealing with. What do you think is wrong with me? And so Google said to me, hey, you might have the onset of a heart attack. To which I quickly responded. I ran outside, and not wisely, jumped in my car and started driving to Hershey Medical Center. (laughs) Thinking that I was at the onset of a heart attack. Now what's interesting is that as I thought that I might be facing death. And that I might have a heart attack because that's what I felt like was happening with me. Uh, I noticed that my thoughts began to run about, okay, who's going to get my books? What am I going to say to my kids? Uh, what's going to happen with the house? What is my wife going to do? Do we have money side? Of it? What about that insurance, you know? And I'm thinking about all the things that need to get in order. I finally got to the hospital, got myself checked in, had a chance to start texting my wife. And the first thing I did was like, you know what, just in case I don't make it through this, I need to tell my wife and my kids that I love them. This may be the last time that they hear from me. They at least need to know, have a text they can look back at and be like, Dad at least said when he died that he loved me. <laughs> they can carry that with them, you know, through the rest of life. Written form right there. They know I love them. They never have to question it, you know, 30 years from now. There it is. Dad says he loved me. And so, you know, I wanted to set my house in order. So, so death can do that for you. And that's exactly what's happening in Isaac's life. He, he, he wants to, to do that. Uh, thankfully, if you're concerned about my health, it was just acid reflux and ear irritation. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Nothing was wrong with my heart. So that, that, was, that was good, just in case you might be wondering about that. Let me, let me get back to the, 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 the true matters at hand here. Okay. Um, so Isaac, uh, being close to death, you know, he, he's concerned uh, and he wants to set his house in order. Uh, and we read about this at the beginning of, of, of Genesis chapter 27, which I read to you here. So there's one thing that's in the text is that we find out about Isaac's desire. Uh, The text uses the word soul to let us know that this is a strong desire that Isaac has. And what is it that is a desire he has? Well, as he's thinking about his death approaching, which he actually is going to live for a number of years after this, but because of his health challenges, he's thinking that. uh, He wants his son Esau to be blessed. That's, That's what he really wants with all of his heart. And so in order to be able to set this affair up, uh, he, he, he did what we do, but just in the way that the ancient world had available. Uh, he wanted it to be celebratory, and so that meant we need a special meal. You know what it's like. You have a special moment in your life with your family or your, or your kids or relatives, and often that, that means that some kind of way you might go out to eat to a nice restaurant, someplace you wouldn't normally go, because you want to celebrate this moment. You, you want to remember it, and that's what's happening here. And so, so what does he ask him to do? Uh, that thing that they both have in common that they love, and the reason why Jacob's heart is, I mean, sorry, Isaac's heart is so attached to Esau because they love the taste of wild game. And so, uh, and, and, and I guess Esau was a, a wonderful uh, cook in the kitchen. Uh, he was a culinary wizard. And so he would go out and whatever he did with that, probably what he learned from his mom, uh, would be able to do something with the, what he caught. And so his dad was like, you know what? If I'm coming to the end, you know how it is. You get to the end of your life. I'm about to check out anyway. Let me at least have the stuff I love. And what do I love? Some good food. So bring me something, make it good, I'm going to bless you, and then maybe I'll just die right afterwards, you know. That's kind of how we see it playing out. That's, that's kind of what Isaac is thinking, right? And so that's kind of what's going on uh, in the text, and, and that's what happened to him. So, so that's what he wants to do with, with Esau. Now, now, for us as readers, a few questions should start to rise, and at least one of those questions should be, why is it that he's not bringing Jacob in to do something with him as well? Why is Jacob not get invited to this meeting that he's having with his son and he's at the end of his life and he's about to divvy up what he wants to give out to his children? Why is Jacob not invited? We know that it couldn't be that, that he only believes or, or holds to that custom that potentially that only the firstborn would get everything because Isaac himself was not the eldest son of Abraham and he was the one who received the blessing. So, so he, he, by his own experience, knows that the, the younger son could be put at the top or the head of the family above the, the elder son. Uh, he knows that from his own experience with his dad and, and what Abraham had done with his other sons, that, that because Abraham, although he wanted to isolate Isaac because he was the one to carry on the family name and, and to carry on the possessions because God had selected him as the one through whom God wanted to work in the future, uh, he saw how Abraham treated his brothers. That that when uh, when when he got ready to, to 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 deal with the other brothers, all of his other sons, uh, Abraham brought them close. He gave gifts to his other sons, and then he set them away from Isaac. He treated them with kindness. But, but but that's not what we find in Isaac's case. Isaac wants to do something different. Now we, Pastor Mike, last week last week talked about how Isaac had followed in his father's weakness. But we don't see him following in his father's strength. He's different than his his father, Abraham. Uh, It seems as some commentators think that Isaac is more is a a passive kind of man. But what we do come come to discover later in the text as the clues get played out and the story gets played out, which we'll read in a moment in detail, we see from the way uh, that Isaac blesses Jacob uh, inadvertently here that his real intention was to give everything to Esau and leave Jacob with nothing. And in, in addition to that, because of what he says in the blessing, we realize that his intention was to make Esau and his descendants the masters over Jacob and his descendants. And you say, well, why is that the case? Why is a father, when his own dad had given him a different example, operating in this kind of way in the family? And the text has already told us favoritism has got the best of him. And so he's now showing that in how he relates to his children. Now, we might not think much about this whole blessing thing, this whole idea of this father saying some words about his child and what's going to happen to the future of his children. But the patriarchs thought a lot about this. This was extremely important to them in tradition. Uh, They believed that what the father spoke about the children uh, had weight on the affairs of life, not because they had some innate power within themselves, but they believed that their God, their deity, would, uh, would take their words and so order the world so that what they said about their children would play out in reality, in time. And so you can understand why there's this great importance. They trusted that God would support their words to make them happen in the world around you. And you see that in the text, verse 7, even though Isaac doesn't say it, Rebecca says it on his behalf. She says, hey, your dad wants to bless Esau in the presence, and she uses the covenantal name for God, Yahweh. He's going to be a witness to this blessing, with the concept that, as witness, he will make it happen in the days ahead. Uh, the book of Hebrews reflecting on this, reflects on uh, this moment in Isaac's life, as the moment when he acted with faith. Hebrews 12:20 says, "By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings." On Jacob and Esau. He was trusting that the God of his father, Abraham, would take care of things, the things that he said long after he was sleeping with his fathers. And this is why what's happening in this room is of grave importance to them. But with all the things I've just said to you in mind, I'm sure you caught that there was a glaring contradiction. Now, during the gestation period of Esau and Jacob, God had stated that the younger and the descendants who would come from him would rule over the older one and his descendants. Now, here we are many years later, some years later, they're full grown men. Isaac is old. Uh, uh, Rebecca's probably older, maybe 20 to 25 years younger uh, than Isaac. And, and so she's somewhat younger, but older than her, her kids. And uh, here he is. And what, what is his intention? His intention is to make the older the master over the younger with belief that God will support him in his desire. He desires something that is different than what God said, despite what God said and despite the fact that we've already seen in the text the week before and last week that Esau doesn't value spiritual things or even in some cases material future things. He despised his birthright, and as we saw in the text last week, verse 34 of the preceding chapter, he didn't value living in the way that Abraham said his descendants should live for those to not intermarry with the women of the land. no, Esau goes and gets two wives from the land, which ultimately caused great problems for his dad and for his mom. And that raises a question about what kind of spiritual leadership Isaac is given to his family. Because here we are, something he knows that his dad had done for him. His own wife as a testimony that his father had been involved in ensuring that he would follow in the right footsteps. Now we don't see that in Esau's life. Isaac is, is passive and he allows him to do what he wants to do. Now I want to grant Isaac the benefit of the doubt here. Because I understand how life is. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the reality is in his, in his old age, Isaac has forgotten what God has said. Or, or, or perhaps uh, by some far stretch of the imagination, the, the, the words that were communicated to, from God to Rebecca were never communicated to Isaac. And maybe that's the case in this one. Whatever the reason is that he's doing what he's doing, what we are clear about is that Isaac intends to intentionally work against the purposes of God. And thus at this point, as the story begins to unfold, we are left in a dilemma. Whose will will be done? God's will or Isaac's will? Because on the stage A human has already moved into action to accomplish how they want to see the world turn out. And so as readers, we we want to know whose will is going to be done. Surprisingly, you might think with uh, God's word being in jeopardy or potentially in jeopardy from a a human perspective, although we, we know it's not. Uh, you might expect to see, as in some of the other texts, that there would be a divine intervention. Perhaps an angel would show up and be like, whoa, hey, you know what God said, right? Yeah, hey, let's get that on the plan. Uh, God doesn't intervene at all, at least not in a, a direct way that we see from the text. And that brings us back to the text to see how things ultimately play out, which, which in this we will gain the lesson that I want to bring out. Now we have a lengthy text to read. I want to warn you in advance, and I'm going to ask you just to, to stay with me as we make our way through the text, because what happens in the text as we're reading it uh, is important for us to grasp. And so I want to expose you to how events unfold. And here's what happened. It picks up at verse five. Now Rebecca was listening when when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it in, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, "I, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau." Bring me game, prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two uh, good young goats so so that I may prepare for from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Your firstborn, I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father who felt him and said, "The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are but are the hands, but the hands are the hands of Esau." And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, "Are you really my son Esau?" He answered, "I am." Then he said, May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in. From hunting. When Isaac was making his plans to control the outcome of events in his family, there was something that he made a critical error on. He forgot that he does not rule the world. And so that meant that there were things that were outside of his control, many things for that matter, that he would not be able to influence, even though he sought to get a certainty in which serves as a good reminder for all of us, because we are not the king or queen of the world. There will be many things that will be outside of our control. For Isaac, we see in the story as it begins to unfold, as the events begin to happen, his plan, as he's laying it out, hoping that it's going to work out, does not go the way that he hopes, because what he didn't count on was that his wife would be listening in on the conversation. Now, we're not sure from the text if this was a providential arrangement. It may have been simply just that uh, Rebecca had something on her mind that she wanted to talk to her husband about, and she was headed to his tent. And as she just so happened to come upon his tent, she happened to be there right at just the right time to listen to the conversation. And that may have been the case. Or it may have been simply that uh, she was a person who had a habit of eavesdropping. Maybe, you know, somebody like that, or perhaps, you know, as they say, or they're at least alluding to our phones, maybe eavesdropping on us these days to help them with advertising. And that may be the case and that may be going on. But whatever the situation is, though, we don't know what it is with Rebecca. We do know that her timing is impeccable as she hears the plan, which Isaac was not counting on. And we do know from this what the information that she hears, she finds it actionable. So she immediately begins to work to refuse to let Isaac have his way as he thinks he's going to have his way. Now she, as the text tells us, loves Jacob, And she fears that uh, he is going to put uh, uh, Esau, the elder son, in charge of the clan. And she's already had some bad experiences from her perspective with Esau and his bad decision making. Uh, As the text had already alluded to earlier in the previous chapter, verse 34, he has married two women from the land, uh, hinting at their ungodliness, different gods that they're worshiping, thus controlling different behavior. And they're causing grief for her. And, and he married about 40. And if this is just, if, he, if they're 57 at the time, he's been married for 17 years and she's had to endure all that. And she's like, I can't endure that anymore. I, I, I don't want Esau running the show. And, and she realizes that, that uh, her, her husband is making secret plans. And, and she sees that Jacob has not been invited in. And she knows that most likely uh, he's probably going to cut Jacob out and because she loves Jacob. She doesn't want him cut out. So she's going to do what she thinks is best to make sure that the son that she loves is blessed. And so she devises a risky plan. and she commands her son Jacob, to execute the plan. It's the two parents who are the main actors, and the son are simply the sons are simply carrying out the parents' will. He does so, but with reservations uh, in the text. And we notice that even with her, because she's not the ruler of the world, there are things that she misses in her planning. As she's strategizing, there are things she fails to account for, factors that she doesn't plan for, that in the conversation become moments of risk. So as we read the text, you'll notice uh, in this interaction between Jacob and his father, Isaac, that the conversation is filled with moments of tension for us as readers. As Isaac, as we see, is already suspicious. He's suspicious of who it is that's before him, even though he can't see him. And so hurdle after hurdle is presented. And it's almost as if at any moment, at any time in the conversation, that Isaac is going to discover this ruse and Jacob will be cursed. But as we go through each tense moment, he notices that the voice is not right. He notices that the timing is not right. He's shown up too soon. And, and all those other things, some kind of way, because of the way the text presents him, and that's just why Esau is like his dad, he ch- ultimately ends up trusting in his senses, although he, he realizes that something is going wrong. And maybe you've been there before. You know you had that sense about something like, ah, I probably shouldn't do this. And there was something in you nagging you like, ah, things just don't seem right. And yet you still went on and did it. And then later you regretted it. That's the kind of situation that Isaac is in. He is ultimately deceived. But I want you to notice the outcome of verse 23 and verse 30. They say to it uh, what ends up happening. Isaac ended up blessing Jacob and making Jacob's descendants the masters over Esau's descendants. Proverbs 16:9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Uh, in his commentary on Proverbs in Volume 2, Dr. Bruce Walkie sums up this, talking about this particular proverb when he writes, A man may plan his road to the last detail. But he cannot implement his planning unless it coincides with Yahweh's plan for him. He is deluded if he supposes that he has unfettered control and can impose his will on every situation without limitation in order to make his plan a reality. What we see in the text is although Isaac moves in a direction to accomplish his will in the way he wants to see reality turn out, Ultimately, it's not Isaac's will that is accomplished. But through a series of normal events in life, it's God's will that is accomplished. Now, this raises an interesting question for us. Does the end justify the means? Were Rebecca and Jacob now able to be absolved from their Uh, deplorable actions that we see in the text, taking advantage of an old blind man? Can we excuse that such that in our own lives, hey, as so long as I get God's will done, it doesn't matter how I get it done. Is it okay what they did? Because God's will was done. Done. No, I would say they were culpable for their choices. Speaking solely from a human perspective of how we encounter life, uh, we we would say probably she could have decided to do something differently. Based on our conversation in the the latter part of the text that she has with her husband, we see that she doesn't have a problem going in and telling her husband what she thinks. They seem to have an open relationship and she seems to not mind communicating her mind and what she thinks. But on this occasion, she doesn't seem to do that. She falls back into her own family's old ways and patterns of behavior. She, she could have entered the room after Esau had left, and it was potentially open that she could have, she could have said to her husband, Sweetheart, sweetheart, I, I overheard what you said to Esau. I, I, I guess, by the way, you're framing this out that your intentions are to bless Esau, and, and I see that you've not spoken about Jacob at all, and it seems like you want to cut our son out. Now, I, I'm not sure, sweetheart, because of your, your age, and maybe you've forgotten it's been so many years, or, or, or perhaps you're actually working in the opposite direction, hoping you can accomplish this. But sweetheart, don't you remember when I was pregnant with them, what God said to us about them? Why are you operating in a way that is opposite of what God said and then had faith that God would work? What she relied on is what she had learned in her own family. How to take things into her own hands and try to ensure that it would work out the way she wanted to do. And so that's what we see in her. That's what we see in Jacob. And because of that, although God's will is done, they are still culpable. They're still held responsible for their choices, even though they accomplish what God wants. And as a result, because they are culpable, they will bear the consequences for their decisions in life, which we will see in the weeks to come. This brings up a valuable lesson, I think, that speaks to the ladies in the room. Whether you're a wife, whether you're a mother, whether you're a grandmother, whether you're aunt, whatever role you play in a family, God has given you a special place in your family. He has granted you the gift of influence. And I want to encourage you to use that gift to its maximum capacity, but only use it for godly things. Don't use it to influence others in ways that you can manipulate them so that you can accomplish what you want In the family. And mothers, I want to encourage you from this text that you have a grand opportunity before you. You have your hands on shaping the next generation. Perhaps in your home, your son, he's going to grow up one day and become a future pastor that will shepherd God's people. Or perhaps your daughter that you have your hand on right now, that you're shaping her life and guiding her life. One day she will be shepherding a state as an official, a government official who's guiding the lives of people. Or perhaps one day both of your children will be. a parent, and they'll be shaping their lives, and you have the opportunity right now to influence them. And I believe this text would say, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Take full advantage of the opportunity that God has given to you. Now, here's what I wanted to bring out for us to learn from the text, which gets to my main point. From this text, we learn that God will even use human sinful choices to accomplish his purposes, that God will even use sinful human choices to accomplish his purposes. Let me give you a few examples without spoiling the future sermon series. We see this in the life of Joseph with his brothers. We see it in Israel's history with Assyria and Babylon. We see it in David's life and what happens with his son Absalom. And we see it in Jesus's life which, with the events that lead to his crucifixion and ultimately to his resurrection. See, God's will will always be done. God cannot be stopped. And it is is that reason why Job, when he encountered God after suffering for whatever period of time, that when he encountered God and he was in conversation with God, this is what he said. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God will will be done. See what God said about and said to Rebecca during her pregnancy happened a number of centuries later. As we know, as the Bible plays out, Jacob's descendants became the nation of Israel. And at some point later they split and became Israel and Judah. And we know that Esau's descendants became the nation of Edom later called Idiomedia, which Herod came from. Uh, And so uh, these are the two descendants, but there's something interesting that happens when David becomes king over Israel. And here's what the text records. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites, descendants of Esau, in the Valley of Salt. And then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Here, centuries later, what God had spoken to a woman during her pregnancy now takes shape in reality as the descendants of Esau become the servants of the descendants of Jacob. See, God's plan will always happen just as he said, no matter what humans try to do to stop it. Which raises the question for us. In light of this truth about God and about us, how are we to respond if we are those who have faith in him? I'll restate my major case. Faith in God and Jesus means that then in light of this truth that we will humbly accept God's will and seek to do it. This is exactly what we see happening in Jesus' own life in the Garden of Gethsemane. We read about how Jesus is in a moment when there is, for the only time in his life, a desire which seems contrary or to want to go in a different direction than what the Father has determined is to happen. Let me share the text with you, Matthew 26, starting in verse, verse 36. Notice what Jesus does. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, So you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed for them the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest. Later on, see the hour is at hand, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus, although he had a different de- desire, because he knew what God's will was, he humbled himself and accepted God's will and then ordered his life to do what God wanted done. And in so doing, he became the author of our salvation, doing what Rebecca had wanted to do for her son, Jacob. She said to Jacob, if you remember, I'm willing if things go bad in this situation, I'll take whatever curse might come upon you. What she had hoped to do for her son, Jesus actually did for us on a Roman cross some 2,000 years ago. He stood in our place and bore the curse that was due to us so that we might only receive the blessing of Abraham from God. And by doing that, he died so that we could live in relationship with God. And he rose so that he could save us from the wrath that is coming from God upon the whole world. Now, what might this truth imply for us as we begin to wrap this up? For those in this room who are not disciples of Jesus Christ, the main aspect of God's will is clear. There's no need to wonder about it. Paul proclaimed it when he was in Athens. He said to them, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. But he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of him, of this, of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The Lord Jesus went on to say during his ministry in John chapter six, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up for the last days. Brothers and sisters, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, God's will for you is clear. Humble yourself, turn from your sins, and place your trust in Jesus Christ. This is God's will for you. For those of us who may be disciples of Jesus Christ, I would ask just a few questions in light of the text today. Is there an area or desire in your life that you're trying to achieve But somebody God has placed in your path and they've been trying to redirect you based on what the scriptures say and are trying to point out to you that what you're desiring or the direction you're moving is contradictory to what God's will is as it is revealed in scripture. And the question is for you, are you willing to give up the direction that you want to move in to achieve what you want to achieve by the way you want to do it? And are you willing to humble yourself and accept God's will for your life and seek to do things God's way and not your way? That's what this text says to us and the life of Jesus says to us. Brothers and sisters, that's what the point of all this is. That when we understand and know what God's will is, as it has been revealed in scriptures through Christ and through his apostles and their writings, it is our job not to try to overturn God's will, but to humble ourselves. No matter what God's will is, accept that will and move in a direction that is in accordance with what God has said, how the world is to play out. That is our responsibility as believers. Let me pray for us now as Pastor Paul comes up to prepare us for our final song. Father, I pray that, Lord, that you would make clear in each of our lives if there's anything like Isaac because of our own human frailty that we are seeking to do or accomplish or see happen in the world that's not in accordance with your will. What I pray, Father, is that you would first of all make it clear to us that we would reflect on what your word says we would think deeply about it and critically about it. And Lord, if you're convicting us or or if you're redirecting us or if you've placed people in our path who've been trying to move us in the direction you want us to go but we've been resisting, let this be the moment that we stop. Let today be that day that we turn. That we do as Jesus said. Not as I will but as you will. Lord, we want your will to be done in our lives, in our communities, in our homes, in our nation, and in our world. And through all that you've created, we desire to see your will done on earth as it is done in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you stand as we prepare to sing our final song?